Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Alexis en el descuento ha marcado el Arsenal como viene siendo habitual esta temporada. Gol de Alexis 1-0 Arsenal. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, joined by international singing sensation James from Gunnerblog. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, I heard you won X Factor too. I did. I won X Factor. Um, Britain's Got Talent. And British Sports Personality of the Year. Yeah, well. there was some outcry over that, I believe. People felt it was wrong, but I mean, to be honest, I feel I deserved it. Well, certainly over Rory McIlroy. Definitely over here. You know, yeah. in, 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 in terms of the curls, yours are, are far preferable to his. <laughs> what, what little I have left, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, look, we're we're, we're trying to um, trying to record this. We're having a few issues technical wise this morning, but we're gonna we're gonna bash on through. And obviously, we're, we're going to talk about Newcastle. But in a, in an Arscast extra, first we are going to react live to the Champions League draw, which is coming up very shortly. So um, we'll let out gasps of exasperation, I suppose, in in a few minutes. That's it, yeah. I've been looking at the the probability odds of who we draw. It took me a while to get my head around that. I would have just assumed it was sort of fairly random, you know. Mm -hmm. But but someone has actually calculated odds, and apparently we have a 24% chance of drawing Bayern Munich. Why is that? Why why are we more likely to draw Munich than uh, Barcelona or Real Madrid, for example? This is a great question. I could only assume that it's to do with who can't draw who so in some way like ah. if certain balls were to come out at certain times it would increase the chances of getting others ah yeah i mean there's a lot that can happen when certain balls come out at certain times there can be consequences there's certainly consequences and people should bear that in mind <laughs> indeed yeah right well look let's um let's deal with that as and when it happens but for now mm. let's uh, look back on last saturday and a 4-1 win a second 4-1 win in a week which is nice yeah, I could yeah. get used to that. Definitely. Um, good performance overall. I know there was a little bit of, uh, I suppose, trepidation when they got one back just after we'd gone 3-1 up and there were shades of Anderlecht, I guess, for, for certain people. But it didn't It didn't really feel like that to me. It felt like we were much more in control of uh, of the game on Saturday. And um, some, some interesting and very positive performances too. Uh, Olivier Giroud with two fantastic goals. Yeah, brilliant goals, weren't they? I thought he was excellent. It's no coincidence that he looks so much better when he's complimented by players who have skills that he doesn't, namely speed. Um, you know, I just think that we're seeing the, the best of him, really, and it's, it's quite exciting. I mean, it's odd, though, because you think back to Stoke and there was that horrendous miss, wasn't there? Yeah. And then he gets a arguably a harder chance against Newcastle, puts it in the top corner. I suppose that's 
that's Giroud to a T. He's you know he's got lots of uh, lots of ability, but doesn't always deliver it consistently. Yeah, um, and it's an interesting front trio. I noticed that you uh, uh, PSG versus Chelsea is what's happening um, in the Champions League draw. That's okay. interesting. Yeah, mm. I would have quite liked PSG. I have to say. Yeah, yeah, uh, that, that would have been. But could we draw? We couldn't draw then, could we? Uh, oh no, probably not. No, Barcelona won the group. Yeah, so, so it was always a it was a it was a wistful, futile hope. Of yeah, mine. it was. Yeah, there were. Yeah. Um, what were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about Giroud and the front three. Oh yeah, you wrote a nice uh, piece on on Gunner Blog um, about that trio and the movement and and the way that it can affect. Uh, the the way that we play um, yeah. as a forward outlet. I mean, um, it is interesting because the the varying qualities of the three of them. You've got the pace and the creativity of Alexis. You've got the focal point, the the hold up play of Giroud. Uh, Welbeck is almost like a combination of the two of them together. Um, it's interesting, and uh, I think is showing signs that it could be really really effective. Yeah, I thought it was quite promising against West Brom, to be honest. Man City versus Barcelona, so that rules out Barcelona. Oh, sorry, man. Yeah, I was really hoping for that. I know you were holding out hope for that one. That was more likely than PSG. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, Monaco is the one we want if we want to get through. Yes, I'd take that. Um, the front three, I thought they were encouraging signs against West Brom, and I was a little bit disappointed that they, they didn't play together in the following two games. And something I touched on in the piece that you mentioned is something that really excites me is when the ball's wide, invariably we now have more than one man in the box to aim for. Yeah. And just that combination of movement, you know, Welbeck's got such desire to get in there alongside Giroud. It gives the defenders so much more to worry about. And I think contributes to the fact that we started scoring goals from crosses. And I think it's a really promising combination. And also just given all the injury problems we've got, sort of the best we've got available at present. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it as well, that, that trio is nice. I think everybody would uh, uh, would agree that that's a, a trio with real potential. But then you've got to add um, you've got to add Theo Walcott in there and you've got to add uh, Mesut Ozil when he comes back in. Bayer Leverkusen versus Atletico Madrid. That's another one gone for Arsenal, so we can't get Atletico. Mm. Um, but yeah, t- talking about Walcott and... Uh, Mesut Ozil to come back in for all our problems at the back going forward we do look in good shape yeah we do and people say well how would you fit Walcott in I think you know he, he kind of becomes competition for Danny Welbeck in that kind of wide striking role and I think you know that'll be a good contest because they both offer different things to the team I think Welbeck's got a more physical presence probably works hard defensively Walcott on pass form is more clinical. So it's nice to have those alternatives hopefully coming up soon. And it is exciting, isn't it, to imagine what Ozil might do behind that front three mm. because there is real pace in it. Um, Santi Cazorla, while mm. we're talking about Mesut Ozil, obviously Santi Cazorla is, is filling that um, creative role, that kind of number 10 role. And he's had a, a difficult enough season in the sense that the end product hasn't necessarily been there because... Um, you know he's played quite well, but he hasn't he hasn't got on the score sheet. Um, he seems to have found his range again in in the last couple of games. Yeah, three and two, and before that he was racking up the assists as well. Mm. I, th- I think Kazul is playing extremely well, and when I say it's exciting to have Ozil back, I don't think Ozil will walk into the starting eleven by any means. Um, it's interesting because at the start of the season. 
I think we were getting questions about is Cazorla's time with Arsenal up? You know, it's hard to see how he fits into the team. Mm. And now, you know, he's turned 30 and we're seeing him sort of come back to somewhere near his best. I think that that probably tells you something about the squad that, you know, there will be times where players are seemingly out of favour. You wonder how they're ever going to find a run in the team. But injuries or chance means that they get that opportunity. And there is a, a depth of quality there, particularly yeah. in midfield. Schalke versus Real Madrid. So that's Real Madrid out. Well, that's So something. that leaves us with Monaco, Porto and Bayern Munich. Yeah. So yeah, I'm saying nothing. I'm saying nothing. <laughs> um, those those odds have just gone up, though, haven't yeah, they? <laughs> they really have. Oh dear. Um, so yeah, I think Cazorla's doing terrifically well. What 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 a couple of goals he scored as well. I thought that first goal was absolutely superb. Yeah, I mean, he could have gone down, couldn't he? Over the the when he ran into the box and took the ball at, at, at almost full sprint, mm. uh, his first touch was fantastic, and he could have gone down over the defender. And Bayern Munich are out. Bayern Munich, oh. Uh, they, they've got Shakhtar. Oh, wow, okay. So Shakhtar we are versus, down to so Monaco down or Porto. Porto. Well, that, that is a favourable draw, I'd have to say, given the options that we had yes. at our disposal. That I is good. one of those. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm happy. We've just got to wait and see who's um, who we're going to get. It's got to be Monaco. We're out, it? Arsenal. They've got our little bit of paper this is um, I mean obviously you'll already know the draw when you listen to this but imagine that you didn't this would be very dramatic the excitement of this is it's oh here we go here we go Monaco or Porto Monaco or Porto come on one of them I think I'm marginally ahead of you in my telly yeah I'm not watching telly at all so Uh, okay it's Monaco Monaco yeah right fantastic it was meant to be wow that's that's great news. That is the best draw we could have had, I would say, for various reasons. Yeah, that is good actually. Um, because w- w- were they not um, were they not bought by a, a billion millionaire guy who then kind of got fed up with the whole thing? Basically, yeah. I mean, they sold Hammers Rodriguez to Real Madrid. Oh, I thought you said they'd sold Hammers, and I was thinking <laughs> that's where they made their money way yeah. to uh, to to raise revenue. Like if they if they had various hardware supplies at the stadium. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that would be it. Would be a strange club shop. Yes. Do you have but, any fencing that I could I could buy? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Because a couple of summers ago, well, in fact, this summer they sold Falcao, they sold Hamas Rodriguez, and they didn't bring in anybody of that kind of calibre. Mm. Uh, they got Moutinho, I think, is their big star midfield. Berbatov, of course, is still there up front. Uh, but they've got a kind of ageing team, a few exciting young players, but they're not the force that they seemed like they were going to be. I think they scored four goals in their entire group stage and yet right. managed to win the group. Um, so they must have a pretty solid defence. That's all I can say, really, based mm. on that. But obviously there's the whole Arsene Wenger return to Monaco angle as well. Yeah, that's good. That should good. make for an interesting story. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any uh, animosity or, or anything like that, is there? Um, even though, I mean, he was fired from there. Um, Indeed. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously the regime, such as it is, uh, has changed. And I'm sure that the... How many Monaco fans are there? Eleven? Something like that. Yeah, so I'm sure at least seven of them will, will hold him in some esteem and, and welcome him back. I have been to Monaco. It's a very strange place. I've never been. I've never R- been. Right, yeah. It's kind of like 
It feels like a film set, you know. It's none mm. of it real. You sort of imagine that behind, that all the houses are just facades. And the shops, this won't surprise you, are quite expensive. Yeah. There is a certain, you know, tax haven, rich people on their yachts to Monaco. Quality, to you know, And, uh, you know, successful as we are, I, I, don't, I don't have my yacht there. No, no. No, oh, we, yeah. Keep, yeah. we keep them... Hidden, obviously. Mm. And it's not so much a yacht as an inflatable dinghy. (laughs) Dinghy's a good word, isn't it? Dinghies are ace. Um, Well, we've got that out of the way. We can can sort of relax now. That's it. Monaco, brilliant. So we can crack on with this this Newcastle business. Yes. All right. Well, we were talking about Santi Cazorla. And one of the things that... um, I I know this is... um, a symptom of the modern media and everything else, but the the idea that the penalty that he took was in some way disrespectful. Yeah. Now, I know that, um, uh, who was it who said it? Uh, Carlo Cudicini, former Chelsea goalkeeper, and uh, not very good at staying on his motorbike bloke, um, he, he tweeted about it, and then apparently Robbie Earle on NBC also said it was disrespectful, and then Richard Keyes, said it was very disrespectful to do that against a young goalkeeper. And I was telling Mrs. Bloggs this on the on, on Sunday morning, and she said, well, obviously he would prefer if Cazorla had smashed it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I looked on Twitter, and pretty much everybody had made that joke anyway. So, um, But, you know, it's just ludicrous. Why is it when Pirlo does it, he is a, a handsome, bearded football god who is, um, you know, um, bestowing on us great favor with his skill and and coolness and balls the size of watermelons to do that. And Cazorla does it, and it's disrespectful. Weird. It's very weird. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? I, yeah. I, and also moments like that, I think, warrant praise you know that you know football footballers like Cazola are there in part to entertain and you know he's producing something a little bit special also um I thought it was really telling in Richard Keyes's comment he said well he didn't do that last week and that's exactly the point isn't it he took a penalty in the Premier League a week ago he knows that goalkeepers do their research Arnick dived where Cazola put the last penalty so in some ways he's just making an intelligent strategic choice to change what he does yeah um I mean, it's a different kind of penalty, isn't it? When you're 3-1 up and there's only two minutes to go and you're 3-0 down and there's 25 minutes to go. I mean, it's a different kind of penalty. You've got to take it a different way, I think. That The the, the circumstances on Saturday allowed that kind of a penalty more than, obviously, the one at Stoke. That's true, although we've seen some very risky penalties taken under very high stakes. You think of Lauren against Tottenham all those years ago, just rolling it down the middle, you know. That is one of my favourite penalties of all time. Yeah. It really is. It really is. Because I was looking at it going, oh, shit, straight down the middle. And the goalkeeper is going and he's going, ah, fuck. And you can see him thinking, ah, if I just stood there, that that was an awesome penalty. Mm. And if that was disrespectful, I'm just glad about that, to be honest. Well, I think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I think uh, it was a, a bizarre storm in a, in a teacup, mm. uh, that whole thing. I thought it was a, a good penalty, and he scored two chips in the same game. Fair play to him. That's true. I hadn't thought of that. Mm. He was, he was desperately of... gunning for a chipped hat-trick, probably, in the stoppage time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow, that would have been something, actually. A chip, a hat-trick of chips. I wonder, has yeah. that ever been done? I don't Anybody? know. Carlos Vela, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, Hector Bellerin, 
Hector yes. Bellerin. Okay, is um, that what we're going with? No, Hector Bellerin. We'll just right, okay, because fine. just because I was going to say oh, I can't do it if that is. No, we we sound ridiculous uh, doing that. But um, Arsene Wenger said it's it's the uh, the first time he's seen him play without the handbrake, and he said there's something there. So mm. the next time somebody says, "What is there there?" We can say Arsene Wenger says there's something there, but it's in Hector Bellerin. That's um, amazing. That's, is that the first time an individual has been referred to as having a handbrake? Yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe. because obviously there's the collective handbrake that we, we like to play with many times. Indeed, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, individual handbrakes, maybe that's what it is. Arsene is passing off the handbrake responsibility uh, to individuals. I didn't right. realise this. Yeah, I thought there's one sort of shared handbrake. No, it now seems it's... everybody's got one now. Okay, okay. Um, so he, he played without his on. He's, he, was, he's fast, he was very good. He? Yeah. He, he was, was very good. I, I You know, there was that particular, that run in the first half that caught the eye where it was sort of like roadrunner, wasn't it? He just picked the ball up and kept going and going. You thought you might just end up dribbling through the net at one point. Mm. Uh, but he played extremely well, and I think he deserves a lot of credit because he had actually had quite a difficult week. You know, he played at Stoke, didn't have a great game actually came off at half-time and has shown a bit of character to come back from that. And I thought we saw we saw what people are excited about with Bellerin. You know, I, I don't doubt he's got a lot to learn. I think that his marking was a little slack on the Newcastle goal on the set yeah. piece. But we saw the, the potential, and that is that he's got a tremendous speed and propulsion going forward. He's got good dribbling ability, and he's pretty neat in the tackle. It's his tackle that set up the first goal, of course, for mm-hmm. uh, Olivier Giroud. So I thought... Really encouraging from him. And Macha Debushi did a decent enough job at centre half as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean we have to, I think there's some questions coming in about the uh the whole Debushi thing, so we might we might wait okay. uh, and, and touch on that when we get to, to the questions part of things. Um Wojciech Szczesny, um, mm-hmm. um we um we had him to thank for, for keeping the scores at 1-1 and in a season where he hasn't necessarily played as well as he can and there are various reasons for that but uh, one of the complaints was that he's, he's not making saves that are important in, in games in the, in the context of a game or keeping us ahead or winning us points. That was a very, very big save or two big saves at, um, at 1-0 because given how fragile our confidence is, if we'd been pegged back to 1-1, you do have to worry a little bit about where, where the game might have gone or how we might have reacted to that, you know? Well, of course, yeah. I mean, with Arsenal, you, you always worry when they can see that it's going to lead to more trouble. And I thought they were important saves. Um, there were a couple of important moments. I mean, it's possible they might some referees might have given a penalty for a handball by Danny Welbeck. Did you think that was a penalty? Uh, those ones are very hard. I, I'm not sure, to be honest. I mean, this referee had a bit of a stinker of a game again. Mm. Um, we seem to be having all the luck with referees. I mean, this weekend, in fact, in the Premier League, the standard refereeing was pretty poor. I think it's something that we've spoken about before as being a real issue this season. Um, did I think that one was a penalty? I think it would have been harsh, but I've definitely I've definitely seen them given. What did mm. you think? I thought it would have been very harsh. I mean, if it had been awarded to us, it would have been like, OK, I'll take it, of course, but... You know, we, we got a bit we got a bit lucky there. But yeah, I mean I think you're right about the the referee as well. I mean there was a very obvious Newcastle tactic, wasn't there? And that was to foul Alexis pretty much every time he got the ball. Mm. And I think it's becoming more and more of a tactic that teams are using because they view him as the danger man, which he obviously is. 
Um, he's got the ability to uh, to create and to score. And, you know, even though he didn't score on Saturday, he still ended up with, with two assists. Um, but perhaps then that's the beauty of having other players in your team who can score the goals because we were for a while a bit bit reliant on him. Yeah, I think that's why I found this maybe to be our, our best performance of the season because we look good going forward and it wasn't just down to him. And I think in the past when, when that's been the case, you know, that he has really stood out. But actually, this was, although he played extremely well, it wasn't his best game by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. And yet we still had fluidity and a threat. And I think... Uh, You've also got to credit him because he's. He, you're right, he's received some real treatment from opposition defenders, but he doesn't seem to have let it affect him. If you think about Jose Reyes, for example, uh, you know, taking those kickings off the Neville brothers, you always felt like it inhibited him mm. and it impacted upon his, you know, his career in England. With Alexis, you just don't feel that's going to be the same kind of problem. Yeah, true, true. Um, all right, well, look, we're going to leave it there for part one. Um, we're going to come back with part two and your questions right after this. All right, welcome back to the Arscast Extra, brought to you by our friends at Savile Rogue. That's Savile-Rogue.com, where you can get all the best uh, hats and scarves and gloves and all kinds of things. You looked cold in your in your post-game um, video the other day. Oh, it was absolutely freezing. You know what you need? Savile Rogue. Savile Rogue scarf and hat and stuff. Yeah, that's a great idea, to be fair, yeah. Arsblog14, that's the code you can use to get 10% off uh, when you check out at Savile-Rogue.com. So, now is the time for your questions. We've just been sitting here thinking, looking at the Monaco squad, actually. Um, Our old friend Ricardo Carvalho, still there. Like he is old now. Yes. He's not our friend, but he is old, so that was half true, half actually He's actually older than me. Blimey. Well, he's not, but you know, right. it feels okay. like he should be. Yeah. <laughs> um, they have uh, Jeremy Toulalan. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So they've got a bit of a squad sort of full of players we were linked with once upon a time. Yeah. Condogbia. We were linked yes. with him. We, we still get linked with him. I think he's one of those sort of mythical DMs that people are always wanting us to sign. Mm-hmm. Lassina Traore. The six foot eight totem pole of a forward. Yes. Who took the Premier League by storm. Last season. Yeah. You know, yeah. different loan spell with Everton. And uh, Gilbert Scamfist, he's there too. <laughs> um, we've also been linked with their left-back, actually, Kozawa. Have we? Uh, yeah. I saw it in a paper. I mean, there's a lot of nonsense this time of year, but saying Gilles Grimondi had recommended him. Um, but we've got left-backs. We've so. got a couple of those. We've got a couple of those. So, But I, I sometimes wonder about Monreal. I wonder if... Mm. Maybe he'll head back to Spain in the next couple of years if he wants He's, to I'm play. I'm just looking at him here on Wikipedia. He is quite a left-back-looking left-back. Yeah, he sort of fits our mould, does he? Yeah, yeah. He's got that sort of Ashley Cole, Kieran Gibbs, Gail Clichy kind of thing going on for him. Cool. Well, they've, yeah. they've been fairly interchangeable. Um, and, of course, Dimitar Berbatov, who we were linked with just last season. Yeah. Imagine. Well, there you go. What, what crazy times we live in. No, no. What we've learned from this is that we've been linked with all the players. Everywhere. Uh, Shall we have a question? Yeah, why not? Okay. On the subject of French things, um, this is a question from Ethan McCarthy. He's at Zemcart. And he says, does Mathieu Flamini deserve a little more credit for his increased stability of late? He has been pretty solid. 
I think there's been something said uh, to him about his role. Um, because if you remember a few weeks back, we touched on it, I think, and there was this, he was talking about how he's been, uh, the idea was to win the ball as high up the pitch as possible. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's good when you've got your forward players doing that. Um, when they're trying to win the ball high up the pitch, what you don't want is your deep-lying midfielder getting bypassed in the center circle or further forward because then obviously you get left exposed and we saw the consequences of that uh, perhaps at Swansea. Um, Mm. But I think since then there has been something said that he has been positionally much more disciplined and what's really noticeable is the passing stats. Um, I think he was something like 95% uh, pass completion uh, against Newcastle. It was similar in the last couple of games, maybe not so much against Stoke, but in the games before that, he was much more disciplined with the ball. So yeah. I, I think the, there were obviously issues with the way he was playing, and I think he's addressed a couple of those issues, whether it's you know on, on demand or whether he's sat down and had to think about it himself. But there's certainly a, a lot more discipline to to him off the ball and with the ball. And I think uh, I think that's a good thing. I think he's what, what Arsene Wenger perhaps has looked at is how important Mikel Arteta is to the team in the way that he maintains possession. Um, and he's maybe asked Flamini to keep it a bit more simple with his passing. And um, I think we see we see that it, it can be effective. Obviously, I think in the long term he's not the guy, but for now. Um, when you're looking for, for players to step up and to improve a little bit, fair play, he's done that. Yeah, I think he's he's performed much better in the last few games. At West Brom, I thought he was very good a couple of weeks ago uh, against Newcastle too. It's, uh, it's important because previously when Arteta was out, we'd looked a real mess, hadn't we? And I think that just... Mm. Being that that bit more sensible, which really is what Flamini's there to do. You know, he's not a player who he's a player who has got some technical limitations, and I think recognizing that and just keeping it sensible, probably the right way to go. So yeah, happy to give him some credit, but like you, I probably wouldn't say he's showing that he's the answer in the long term at any yeah. stretch. Yeah. All right. Um, this is a question from James, who is at one gold PL trophy, um, and I've got a kind of a follow up question to this as well but in the very <clears throat> but in the very short term he asks if Debushi and Chambers are available this weekend which one goes at centre back it's quite a tricky one that you know is it though uh, you know I, I go on you go first well all, all, all I would say is that uh, I feel like Chambers is a player who might be struggling a little at present just from being having played an awful lot of games mm. uh in a very short period of time who i feel like he's effectively not in great form uh, quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Uh, and then you've got that team who performed well against Newcastle and there's a temptation to stick with that. My, my instinct would still be that he will come back in at centre-half mm-hmm. uh, alongside Mertzaka with Debussy. Uh, right back, and I think the real reason is because, as well as Bellerin's played, he'd, he'd be unlucky to be effectively dropped. But I do think that Debussy, although he did well against Newcastle, wasn't enormously tested, and I don't think we can say with any confidence that he is a great centre back. Yeah, um, we can't necessarily say that about Callum Chambers either, but he seems a more natural fit. So I think, mm. I think he will come back in. Yeah. That will be my thing. I, I, you know, it's way too early to um, to make any kind of judgment about Debussy at centre-half because, you know, like you say, he wasn't hugely tested by by Newcastle. Um, and I think he is a very, very good right-back. Um, as, as promising as uh, Bellerin is, um, you know, I think we, we've got to look at playing perhaps, uh, you know, our best players in their best positions. Hmm. I mean, that I- goes with Debussy at uh, right-back. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Chambers has... I, I just feel a little for Chambers because I feel like he's constantly being thrown into these big games. I'm sure he's not sad about it. I'm sure he's relishing it, but I feel like his development is being rushed in a way that might not necessarily be beneficial to him. But that's not something that we can address at present with the injuries we've got. It's an interesting point, though, about Chambers' form. That wasn't necessarily something I'd, I'd considered mm. um, because he started the season so well. Uh, and I think everybody, well, not necessarily that he raised expectations, but I think people were expecting a consistent level of performance, which is perhaps a little bit too much to expect from a young guy who's only 19, really playing his first season of full uh, of first team football. I know he, you know, was in and out of the Southampton side a bit last season, but you know, here he's a first teamer. Yeah, um, and maybe he is struggling a little bit for form, but you know, who knows the uh, the week off from a suspension might have helped. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you look at the balance of a back four, we're probably stronger with him in at present. So I, I expect him to start at Anfield. Right. Um, and my sort of follow-up question to this, and it was one that was um, asked by a lot of people. Uh, mm. So apologies, I can't I can't see it now. My Twitter's just too full of people going, yes, Monaco. Um, but the question was, does Debushi's display against Newcastle offset the need for a centre-half signing in January? No, in a word, I would say. Mm. Um, You know, I I would be uneasy about a situation where you might have to play two from Monreal, Mm. Debussy and Chambers at centre-half because all of those players are more experienced at fullback. I still think that you're in a position whereby the only senior central defenders you have are Mertesacker and Koscielny. One of those players has a serious injury problem and other one's in danger of developing one from playing an awful lot of games. So I think 
it doesn't assuage that need at all. Arsenal definitely need to go and get a centre back in January. Yes. Would you would you be inclined to agree? I would be uh, inclined all over the place to agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a good question then. In response to that, this comes from Desmond, who's at Arsenal tonight. He's a nocturnal tweeter. <laughs> he says, do you think we'll sign someone early on in the transfer window or will we have to wait till deadline day? Yeah, there is the question, isn't it? Um, I think the the fact that we need a signing so urgently uh, mm. will... Pressingly. Pressingly even. Yes, there's a good word. Why, why didn't I use that? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that will probably get the manager into the transfer market sooner than... Uh, than usual um i think it was it was interesting after the game against newcastle uh, and he spoke about koscielny being out for a couple of weeks um and that the need to do something about that in the transfer market was was obvious so you would like to think that under those circumstances um having tasked brian mcdermott and the scouts to find somebody that the deal would be done as quickly as possible into January so you have that player available. Who the player is, where he comes from, how much he's going to cost, I don't have the faintest idea. Uh, no. You know, I think uh, we spoke with Philippe O'Claire about this on the Arscast on Friday. It's you, you need a player that can come in and, and do it now, who can slot into the team uh, and, and not be phased by uh, what's going to come between now and May because there's going to be a lot of pressure, a lot of big games. Um, so... Yeah, who it is, I, I just don't have a clue. But I would like to think that the Koscielny situation and the seriousness of it and the, the, the possible consequences of um, not bringing anybody in would mean we go in quickly. Yeah, and it can be done. I remember a couple of years ago, Chelsea, uh, it was a slightly different situation because he had a release clause, but they effectively did the Denver bar deal in the week leading up to the opening of the window. And within a couple of days of opening, it was signed and sealed. And I think... Arsenal need to be similarly proactive, try and get something on the table so that when that window opens, we can bring someone in as quickly as possible. Am I confident it'll pan out that way? Not remotely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's uh, what common sense and um, and uh, and what we do in the transfer market are not good benefits. They, they rarely go hand in hand. No, yeah. they rarely do. Uh, this one comes from LL Cool A. Oh, I was excited for a minute there. Yeah. At Andy Jackson is his name. Okay. Um, I'm having trouble speaking today. I don't know what the fucking problem is here. But, anyway. <laughs> uh, but Andy wants to know, do you think Arsenal's poor corner taking has anything to do with the sloped corners at the Emirates? Uh, Pat Nevin, he of former Chelsea and Scottish teams fame, he has a theory about this, and he made a short film for the BBC about how modern corners are massively influenced by this phenomenon. And he, yeah, he, he believes that the reason so many modern, modern corners are ineffective is that there's not sufficient space for a corner taker to take a run up. Right. Now, as a, you know, he's a professional footballer. He can be a bit off the wall in his theories, but, and he actually sort of does a demonstration where he shows, he goes to a couple of Premier League grounds and shows he hasn't got room to actually get a decent run up and take the kick. Now, I can't off the top of my head remember what it looks like at the Emirates, how much space we have. It's, there's, I think there's enough space because, you know, when you go from the corners, you know, obviously the, 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 the stands are there, but there's certainly space for a run up. But, but is there, there is, a slope? Yeah, there's definitely a, a slope down. 
I mean, it's you'd think it pretty extraordinary that clubs could overlook that. Mm. Um, it must be something they consider, but there is certainly there are certainly people who do support that theory. So maybe I mean it is difficult to explain that such technically gifted players don't seem able to lift the ball over the first man. I think that's a particularly pronounced problem with Arsenal because at present we seem to be aiming quite a lot of our corners to the near post. Yeah. So inevitably, if they're going to get cleared, that that will be where it is. And it nearly worked. Per Mertesacker nearly opened the scoring with it, that sort of goal on, mm. on Saturday. I but, wonder, uh, do we, uh, at the training ground, given our attention to detail, have a sloped bit going onto one of the pitches for corner practising? That is a really... I don't know if that was a sort of silly question. No, but no, no, no. It's a genuine question. It's actually quite interesting, isn't it? Because I imagine not. London Colney, the, no. the training pitches, as far as I've seen, are flat. So there's not that kind of beveling mm. to emulate what you get at the Emirates. That is actually a very good point. But then we all know that the other problem with our training ground pitches is that they're made of like a special turf that ensures all your players get injured. Yes, it's called concrete. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I actually think there's something to that, to be honest. I do um, as well. Maybe we've stumbled upon something. Yeah. Let's email arson.venger. LL Kool-Aid should get oh, yeah. the credit here. Okay. So what, what I suggest that LL Kool-Aid does is put this question uh, into rap banner? form. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> make, a, make a music video. Well, that does go well, I've heard. Yeah. So I believe. Uh, yeah, but uh, that is really interesting. And maybe on the training ground, we should sort of, at the sides of the pitches, set up gladiator-style travelators <laughs> that players have to fight their way up before they take the kick. You know what the other thing is, though? I think the main issue is that the players don't practice them enough. That would be my thinking. Don't, literally don't practice the taking of them. Yeah. It's yeah, because possible. you know why? Who was, who's the best? If I was to ask you, who's the best... Uh, corner taker that you can remember from the Premier League era? Uh, I don't know. Someone like Beckham, maybe? Yeah. yeah. Like, the, the the quality and consistency of his delivery was astonishing, really. Yeah. He rarely, rarely put a, a corner in a bad in a bad place. Ball mm. nearly always went where he wanted it to go, and that was down to him practicing. Because, you know, he, he knew that you know, uh, in terms of skill and tricks and all that, that that wasn't his thing. And he had a, a talent for set pieces, obviously, but he made the most of that talent through sheer practice. Um, you know, the stories that you heard about him taking free kicks, taking corners um, after training, et cetera, et cetera, and, and did it all the way through his career. And I think that's, you know, we don't necessarily have a defined corner taker, do we? Alexis takes some, Cazorla takes some, Oxlade-Chamberlain takes some. Um, you know, Van Persie used to take them a bit, but mm, you know, I think cross, it, second few. yeah, I think they should just practice more. As yeah, well, well there's, a, there's a role to be had there, isn't there? There's a, a specialist role up for grabs. If you if you practice sufficiently as an Arsenal player, you're pretty much guaranteed to be on the corners because no one we've got at present is delivering. So, mm. yeah, maybe it is the thing. I mean, that's is that does that come from a manager making you practice that or is that from the individual is it you know did Beckham stay behind because he wanted to you know yeah difficult to say yeah all right let's have another one this is an important question right I'm beginning I'm beginning to think it's not it's from Dave (laughs) at one Osguna and he asks 
and I, I really wonder how you're going to respond to this. Andrew, what exactly is it that you dislike so much about Phil Collins? John Terry, I understand, dot, dot, dot. Right. So he, he seems to be saying, I, I understand John Terry, but what's Phil Collins ever done? Does he understand John Terry as in he understands the man or he understands my contempt for him? He I understands think. your contempt, I think. I think what we've done is we've stumbled across a man who feels conflicted because he loves both Arsenal and Phil Collins and he needs you to explain to him why that's wrong. Well, look, I would never tell anybody what they can and can't like. That's entirely up to him. And if he likes Phil Collins, then, you know, good for him. I only judge him very slightly on that. (laughs) Do you like Phil Collins, Andrew? No, no, I don't. And the the thing about it is there are a multitude of reasons that we could go into. But the main one, the main one is In the Air Tonight. That song. Okay. It makes me angry. (laughs) Like really, really angry. And the drum bit. Remember the ad? There was a chocolate ad, wasn't there? It was a gorilla. A gorilla playing the drum. That made me so furious. Not even that. Not even the sort of comic incongruity of a gorilla playing those drums could raise your spirits. I felt like it was a slight on the whole gorilla nation. Is that when you stopped eating chocolate? Well, Cadbury's, yeah. Yeah. I moved over to, uh, to Mars. Sure. And Reese's Pieces and things like that. But I thought that was you know, humiliating for gorillas that he just, was made do that. Do you just hate the song? Does it just Yeah, turn I hate the song and I hate, I hate his voice and I hate his stupid big round head and he's also a Spurs fan and he did You Can't Hurry Love. Uh, didn't, yeah, he did that song as well, didn't he? I think that so, That was yeah. it. And, you know, he was... I just... Everything about him. Everything, he looks like a fucking tramp. <laughs> Seriously. Looks like a, somebody who should be living under a bridge. Uh, and he's a rock star. Do you know what else annoyed me about him? Mm-hmm. Like at Live Aid, there was this great thing. Phil Collins is so great that he's going to fly from London to Philadelphia to be at both Live Aids. Fuck off. What a show off. Everyone else just got 10 minutes. Why should he get, <laughs> why should he get more? He so, wanted to. He wanted to be in the air. He wanted that night yeah, because he. I think he did it by Concord, didn't he? And uh, you know, because he, Concord was basically time travel or something. And, yeah, it's uh, banned now. It's too dangerous. Yeah, because um, I think if you like kill Hitler, it affects the rest of history or yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's exactly it. And uh, yeah, he was he was on Live Aid twice. I mean, that's cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> so that's, hopefully, hopefully they weren't watching. Yeah, but mostly, mostly it's down to mostly it's down to in the air tonight, and all the other reasons. All of okay. them. Okay, it's good. I think it's important that we clear that up. Have we? Uh, do you think we've explained that to uh, to yeah. uh, his satisfaction? Some, for newer newer readers, they'll be like Phil Collins. Where, where's that come from? Now mm. we've solved the mystery. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's wonderful. You do personally? <laughs> no, I don't. Just good. You That's all right. I'd only judge you very slightly. We, sorry, we can carry on doing this podcast. Yeah, we can. We can still be just about friends. Okay. Right. Uh, here's one from the Canon, Sam the Canon. He said, oh, yeah. and another people, a couple of other people asked this as well. As well, see, I can't fucking speak today. I don't know what's wrong. What is I it? Don't is know it what... The mention of Phil Collins. I think it is. Nauseous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm fine now. I'm fine. Um, he said, if you were involved in Arsenal's secret Santa, who would you want, and what would you get them? Oh, Kim Everett asked this as well. I remember because I wrote it down. Right. Um, so, secret Santa. As far as I understand, it works that you have to buy someone. One person a present without them knowing who it's from. Is that correct? Yes. I see. I haven't got any friends, so I don't have, you know, 
a reference for this. Well, that's good. It makes for a cheap Christmas, so. It does indeed, yeah. Now I've still got family. You can't escape them. Mm. Um, who would I want and what would I get them? Players and, and staff? Anyone, or? anyone. Anyone. Let's throw it wide open. Players, staff, uh, admin staff, the okay. web guys, whoever. I would get... Oh. Now, look, it's January coming up. So I think I've got to do something that's going to help on the transfer side of things. Mm. I think I've got to get Dick Law something, haven't I? I've got to get him something that will enable him to do his business more efficiently. A file of facts? Mm-hmm. Can you buy reputations? <laughs> no, you can't, sadly. Oh, there's a trick. Someone's We've got all the money in the world, but, but that, we can't buy that. Mm. Um, what else could I get him? He's got. I mean, he's got a lot of resources. He needs something that would make people take him seriously. When he turns up at a club, they need to know he means business. I'm going to buy him a bowler hat. Dick Law's getting a bowler hat. I just feel if you turned up to negotiate with Barcelona or Milan or Bayern, whoever it might be, mm. if it was just Dick Law, they'd be like, forget it. We know who you are. If he turns up in a bowler hat, they'll think, hang on. This guy means business. Does he also have a briefcase? Yes. Does he already have the briefcase, or has that got to be part of your present? That might come with the present. Um, and maybe like a sort of little Poirot-like moustache. Mm. I just feel that it would just add a certain authority to his transfer dealings that would might help us out. It's one of those presents that's really for me. Yeah, it is. It, do you know what I mean? It is. It's one like of those getting somebody a film you want to watch or a game you want to play. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'm always thinking of number one. Yeah. Very what about selfless, you? Though. Um, I don't know. Um, what would I get and who would I get it for? Uh, I should think, I should have thought about this before I asked you. Yeah, I know. I always make that mistake. Yeah. Alexis deserves a present. He's been a good boy. He certainly has. What would we get him, though? Like, I don't know what would he has everything that he could possibly want: speed, skill, yeah, aggression, nice yeah, <laughs> lovely hair. I'd get Murdersack or a puppy. That's what I'd do. Oh, they'd be such good friends. A German Shepherd puppy. They'd be friends for life. And when Koscielny was out, we could play the German Shepherd in central defence because they're they're very good at football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and also, if you're buying a, pro a present for the Arsenal squad and you're not sure who it's going to go to, I think just buy hair product. They seem to get through an awful lot of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, hair jizz. That's it'll, be, it'll be very popular. I had to do this once, actually, a Secret Santa thing. in um, uh, When I worked in Spain, I was a, an English teacher and we worked in this school and you were given a name and they mm. were having like an office Christmas party. You were told, don't spend any more than five euros or uh, whatever it was. Um, and there was another teacher there, um, about the same age as me. And he was, um, he was a very odd guy, very, very odd guy, who tried to tell us one day that yogurts were made from a fungus that you would get from sheep's vaginas. <laughs> Honestly, he was a very odd guy. But he had this kind of... Um, beard like yeah. a see I can't talk kind of like a stripy 
type of beard. I don't know how to describe like it. Like a badger beard. Yeah, but it was re- really fine lines. Like not big bushy kind of hipster. Oh, in terms beard of how it was now. grown, and was it deliberately? Was it was it shaven into yeah, lines? It was shaven into lines, but the lines were all fucking crooked and like weird. They weren't straight lines. Okay. You know? So I got him, I got him a uh, um, a protractor set. So there was a ruler <laughs> and a, a T square thing, and a, you know the triangle and the, the what was the little semicircle one that you got as well. Uh, compass? No, no, but not a compass, but it was like a little plastic That's a semicircle. That's isn't it? Yeah, protractor and all that kind of stuff. And then I made up this little um, graphic that I put on the packaging of it, which on one side showed a guy with a really crooked beard, mm. and on the other side, after using this, you get really straight beard. I'm so concerned I thought, about how this is going to go. It didn't go down very well at all. No? He, he took considerable offence. Um, to this, <laughs> sitting in a bar after we'd had our Christmas drinks, and um, you know it was it was back in the day when a bottle of beer over there was about a euro. So there was some beer taken, and and he expressed his disenchantment at the uh, at the present that I got him. He shouted, "Screw you, Andrew!" Yeah, he was like really unhappy. I'm going to go and form the band Genesis. <laughs> um, you haven't heard the last of me. <laughs> See what I've wreaked upon the world. It's <laughs> terrible. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so he, he went mad, and I told him to fuck off. Wow, this sounds dangerous. I don't know if we should get involved in this whole Secret Santa business. Well, look, we, we've, we've decided on good presents for those involved, rather okay. than one that was perhaps a little bit cheeky, but not worthy of the reaction that it... That it uh, that it got, that's my thinking. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're all right there. Um, you got one I, more. Yeah, why not? One more. Um, let's have this one. This is from Rahul Karel, and he asks: uh, We all know we need a strong presence in centre and with. Uh, it's catching Andrew. This yeah, problem of speaking. We all know we need a strong presence in central midfield. What do you feel about Musa Sissoko? I don't feel anything about him, really. No? No. No, I, I mean, I don't look at him and, and have feelings. He doesn't move you. No, and I don't know that he's necessarily the 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 presence that we need. He's a good player and an uh, exciting player, isn't he, um, when you see him do what he's doing for, for Newcastle this season. Uh, yeah. But he strikes me... Him, didn't he? Yeah, I, he strikes me as... Perhaps somebody who could add something at the attacking end of the pitch rather than being the defensive rock that, that people are looking for. That would be yeah. my thinking. I agree. I think, you know, I'm sure the papers will, will run with it in the next few weeks. And I, know, I heard Philippe on, on the Askcast saying he thinks there might be something there. But he doesn't strike me as a player we really necessarily need. He's I think of him as an attacking midfielder. He often plays wide in the front three for Newcastle, kind of like an Oxlade-Chamberlain type. So uh, he's not the sort of midfielder we really need. I think that if a midfielder is targeted in January, it will be someone who's much more defensive-minded. But as we've said before, I I don't hold out. It's not something Arsene's talking about publicly, is it? He's much more focused on the centre-back issue. All right, I'm going to go with one more question very quickly before we go. Okay. Uh, Because, uh, yeah, Uh, it comes from FC Hoya who wants to know, would you rather have flippers for arms or a condition where your nose never stops running? I felt a bit like I've had that this week. 
I flip. Okay, nose never stops running, or flippers for arms. What type of flippers are we talking here? Um, like a dolphins. Like a dolphins. So no opposable thumbs, no no grippage. Well, I mean, there's, that's not to say you couldn't get hooks put on the end of them, or what kind know. of mad dolphins are you hanging out with? Um, no comment. <laughs> you don't like them either, do you? No. No, I don't trust them one bit. Imagine Phil Collins riding a dolphin. I, I, <laughs> oh, there you go. I got the entirely the wrong image in my mind there, James. I know. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Didn't mean to inflict that upon you. Um, you've got options with the dolphin because of the blowhole. What I was going to say was, I think I'm going for. I don't want the flipper hands. I'll have the nose that runs. Right, because you can always blow your nose. Well, I'll just sort of have a hanky, like in the olden days. You could, Do you have a handkerchief? Do you have, like, a cotton handkerchief? No, I never quite... I, I always thought they were quite unhygienic. They must be, surely. You know, I mean, I got the... the, the uh, why handkerchiefs existed, but in general, um, the idea that you would carry a, a snot-covered rag in your pocket... Yeah. ...never... Yeah, just strikes me as a bit odd. So, no, I don't, I don't have a handkerchief or well, a was- monogrammed... Kleenex or anything, <laughs> but you know I, I would require one of those. But I'd definitely go for that. I don't want the flip the flippers. I just feel like I'm on a hiding to nothing with that. I might be a better swimmer. But yeah, beyond you could, that, you could win on Olympic gold. That's true. That's true. But I wouldn't be able to hold my medal. It will be put around your neck mm. for you. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice image, mm. but uh, I'm sticking with the nose. I'm trying to think if there's anything useful about the nose. I don't think there is, really. No, you could always stick, um, you know, earplugs or, or nose tampons up there. Yeah, but I feel like when you took them out, there'd be a torrent. Yeah. And I feel like that would be worse. It's better just to keep it slow and steady. Right. Uh, do you have a view? I, I don't. Okay. No. I, I don't want either of those things. Oh, shit. I forgot. That was, should have gone for that. Should have. All right. We're going to leave it there for this one. We'll be back next Monday after the trip to uh, to Anfield. Exciting times. Mm, and uh, I'll be here on Friday with the Arscast. Uh, so until then, take it easy. Bye-bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.